Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. October is Mental Health Month, so we're going to talk today about normalising conversations about mental health in your newsroom. In journalism, we are seeing some breakthroughs with organisations and reporters opening up spaces for these conversations, but there is still plenty of work left to do to break down the taboos surrounding mental health. Our guest today is Leona O'Neill, a lecturer in journalism at Ulster University in Northern Ireland. Before that, she spent two decades working as a freelance journalist for the likes of the Belfast Telegraph and the Irish News. Much of her work involved covering violent news stories. Many will remember the tragic death of journalist Lyra McKee in 2019, who was shot whilst covering the riots in the Crigan estate in Derry. Leona was there when it happened. In a new book she has just co-authored and published, Breaking Trauma in the Newsroom, she and 15 other journalists document their struggles with mental health. In her chapter, Leona reveals the extent of trauma witnessing a murder has, even on a hard-nosed journalist. Coming up, we hear about why it's never a good idea to bottle your emotions up, as has been the status quo in our industry, and the support that is needed within newsrooms today. Don't go anywhere. Leona, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Leona, I'd like to forego my usual opening podcast interview question in place of something else which I feel is a bit more appropriate and one we probably don't ask enough as journalists, which is, how are you, really? Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Thank you for asking, actually, because we don't ask each other that very much in journalism. It's kind of on to the next story, on to the next story. At the, at the minute, I, I suppose I'm working in a university and it's uh, it's a different environment from a newsroom, but I'm training young journalists to go out under the field. So my ambition at this point in my life is to kind of arm them with, uh, I don't know, a suit of armour to perhaps protect them um, in in their kind of a way of working whenever they go out into the industry. And um, that is completely different from the me of three and a bit years ago where I was out working in the field myself and kind of getting hassle and hostility and threats and everything else and, you know, witnessing a murder. So I'm in a, a far more peaceful environment, a peaceful place and full of joy looking at these young journalists going out into the field and full of enthusiasm and, and passion for the, the job. And that just that just fills me with joy. I'm sure your students are learning a lot from you as well. Um, October is, of course, Mental Health Month. We've had World Mental Health Day earlier this week as well. So it feels like good timing to talk about your new book, uh, Breaking Trauma in the Newsroom. And there we see 16 journalists, including yourself, talking about covering some of the most difficult news stories and how it's really impacted their mental health and um, the impact of trauma as well. I'd like to simply ask you, what's it like to be able to hold the book right now in the physical world? Yeah, it feels so good, yeah. Because, you know, one of the things I really take from your segment is the the constant demands to talk about the situation you were in, um, being on autopilot for so much of the off- aftermath, being un- unable really to put pen to paper and this profound point really on being acutely aware that you weren't perhaps doing that justice at the time because you just emotionally couldn't go there. So to be able to hold it now in the in the real world, how does that feel? Yeah, it does. It feels good to be able to uh, to be able to hold the book actually in my hand. It was kind of in my head for a long time, 
I think journalists, I don't know if I'm, I'm clubbing everyone together in the in this, but I, I find journalists find it very therapeutic to, to talk about or to, to write. And when I first experienced that very traumatic incident where I saw Lira McKee murdered, I couldn't speak beyond the autopilot where I was just kind of saying the same five sentences because, as you say, I didn't want to tap into the kind of emotion that um, that I that, that I was feeling at the time. So I, um, I, I couldn't speak it. My throat would just seize up and I would start to cry so I couldn't speak it so I wrote it and I found it very therapeutic and I just kind of wrote my chapter in the book I just wrote that for myself because I was attending a counsellor a trauma counsellor at the time and they said that um, journal you know you journal your feelings and stuff and what happened and sometimes that can get it out of your head so I, I wrote that I wrote my chapter in that in that way thinking it would never go anywhere but the more I talk to other journalists, I realized that I wasn't um, I wasn't alone and feeling broken by something that had been in the news. And they're, they're, they weren't these people's stories weren't as kind of they weren't dramatic, very um, dramatic things that happened to them, that they were involved in a terror attack or, or what have you. There were simple things that all journalists across the UK would experience, like you know, attending an inquest or standing in a murder scene or uh, a tragedy where a family die or, or anything like that, that they just, that was one thing that just broke them. I genuinely thought I was on my own feeling broken. And then I discovered I wasn't. And journalists are kind of, they're a big tribe of people and we speak each other's language. It's very strange to explain that to people outside journalism. We speak each other's language we understand each other in a way that maybe other people can't we understand how we think we understand how we act in certain ways so I felt less alone and I started getting people they write their chapters and Chris Lindsay came on board he had an experience where he was blown up uh, during a, a, a march uh, a loyalist march in Belfast he came on and he was really passionate about the, the book and to hold it in my hand now it's very it was hard work getting this together really really hard work really emotional really kind of at times um, difficult but to hold it in my hand now and to hear people that have read it and said this really resonates with me I relate to it so much I didn't realise that I was also um traumatized by something I just kept going to hear that it makes a difference to people when they're reading it is really special and and that's the most important thing what helped you get there the most in terms of your writing process and being able to you know I imagine we can all go around in circles with our writing but I suppose when it's something that's really personal and difficult to us it's maybe even harder um was it just the camaraderie and the community of journalists or was there anything else that seemed to work for you I was interviewing other people for the book as well and we were forming forming like a tribe we were forming like a tribe we're forming almost like a a support group for one another it was almost like we were these satellite journalists all these different sort of planets almost struggling in our own we orbits and then we kind of came together and we were able to support one another and we all still do keep in touch and we talk about these things and more importantly it didn't start with me. I'm not so arrogant that I think of the conversation about newsroom mental health started with me. Hannah Storm and, and headliners are doing a fantastic job in that and yourselves as well. My conversation started just not even it started with myself. You know, I I couldn't speak about it. And I, I, I felt that there was some kind of blockage or something there that I couldn't speak about what happened to me. So I did what I do I suppose I've always done and, and wrote wrote down the words and it was very difficult to do that 
it was very difficult even to do that. And as I, as I said in the book as well, I sat down to try and write uh, a colour piece. We're all familiar with colour pieces about what happened that night for the Belfast Telegraph in the days after that actually happened. I couldn't find the words. I couldn't write. I couldn't tap into my emotional side at all because it was just, I, I don't know, it was probably just the trauma. And interviewing people about this, about their own particular traumas and things that happened to them was difficult for them and it was difficult for me and it was quite a you know it was it was quite an emotional process but we supported each other during that and I made sure it was very sensitive very sensitive interviewing I made sure to follow up with the folks that I, I I talked to as well afterwards and didn't just you know take their story and and kind of and then that was it and that was the end of the conversation we we followed up and we became something of a support group for one another and it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful thing that has come from this and what has rippled out from it as well is that those people are talking about it in their newsrooms and other people are talking about it. And it's making a subject which has been taboo for a long time. Journalists actually are not robots and that they can be impacted by stories. It's making that, uh, it's normalising that. Normalising and, and that being the, the springboard for other people to speak about their experiences. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really, really took from your segment, Leona, is journalists do head into very dangerous situations. And with that, they perhaps know the risks and there's, to an extent they can maybe accommodate for that. But also, equally, trauma doesn't really give you the warning and things can change in, in a snap second and really have to prepare for the unexpected in many ways. Would you Would you go along with that? I would agree with that. I was a journalist for 24 years before I, um, you know, before this incident happened and which which basically broke me. And then I burned my journalistic career to the ground um, to feel peace again, to feel sort of safe again. But before that, I had been covering living in Northern Ireland and working in Northern Ireland. You're covering legacy stories. You're covering stories about the troubles. You're covering stories, uh, your ordinary everyday news. Also, your court stories, your inquests. And I suppose I didn't notice, and a lot of people say this, I didn't notice that those stories chipped away gradually at my mental health. And uh, I, I would say I was carrying quite a lot of trauma from some of those stories over the years. Without even realising it. Without even realising that. And even just, you know, things like you're covering an inquest and you, you go home and you can't settle. You kind of, uh, you know, you can't get the thoughts and the details out of your head. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that that has felt that or, you know, feeling scared out at a, at a, a violent protest, for, for example, and dealing with the what ifs. What if I had have moved differently on the during this whatever it was that you're covering, or what if I had have been beaten up at this protest, or you know all those things gather up, and I don't know if if we just squish them down, we just push them down so that we don't feel them. Um, but then there was this just one incident, this uh, Lear McKee's uh, murder, just tipped me over the edge, and I think it it was the culmination of all of that stuff as well as witnessing someone being murdered, just tipped me over the edge. And I, I just felt everything then at that stage, which was really, really powerful. I mean, Leona, we as journalists are charged with being exposed to some of the most difficult you know, events and um, filtering that for the, for the public. It would be wrong to presume that we don't absorb some of that, you know, knowingly or unknowingly. 100%. There's a thing called vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, which journalists absorb every single day of their life. And they might not notice it. But, you know, if you're out 
interviewing a mother about losing her child in a tragic incident and you're absorbing all the emotion, all the grief, all the trauma from, from her. And then the next, an hour later, you're out covering a, perhaps a security alert where people are you know, rushing from their homes to escape perhaps like a bomb or or you're you're covering a, a traffic accident where someone has, has died. And this is kind of constant. I always say it's a... The newsroom, I worked in hard news. Now, a lot of other journalists maybe might not be exposed to as much hard news, perhaps, as, as I would. But you're covering that constant conveyor belt of doom almost in a newsroom. And we might not realise that it impacts us until, and I found this through research. I'm doing a PhD also in uh, trauma and journalism. And through research, talking to journalists, perhaps even that are older, veteran journalists that have been around for maybe 50 years, they didn't. All that stuff didn't impact them until they stopped and they stepped out of the arena. And then they started thinking that was kind of strange. That was a very difficult story or that was a kind of awful, horrific incident. And it sort of hits them then. So when I was talking to one of the guys in the book is 70, 70 odd years old and he just has only started dealing with some of the stuff that he has witnessed over the years. He's having nightmares and he's, you know, there's there's some sort of issues there as well. And that's similar when we're looking at ambulance uh, workers and we're looking at fire service, emergency service workers. A lot of the time when they retire, that's when, you know, some issues come up. We often don't think about the mental health of older journalists who have not been proactively seeking support throughout their career. But it's understandable why they are in this position. Mental health issues have long been seen as extra baggage for busy newsroom leaders to carry or a sign of weakness in reporters and not being cut out for the job. But reporters do not ask for trauma. Often they are simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. And once that happens, it's like the floodgates are open. Here's a great quote from Leona's chapter. She says, Stories affected me in ways they had never done. I deeply felt the pain of every mother who has lost a child, of every wife who has lost their husband. For the first time in my career, everyone's pain was mine, and I carried it home with me, dragging it with me like a decaying dead horse everywhere I went. Leona suggests that her book is a sign of change slowly happening, but what is needed most of all is a culture of internal help and ongoing support being available, rather than dealing with the repercussions in retirement. And the newsroom is a very macho environment, whether you're male or female. It's you know it's it's quite macho in that people have to be hard nosed and tough and get on with it. And if you're not up for it, you know you move to features or something less taxing on you, perhaps. And that's a really bad, negative, toxic mindset to have. Um, I'm getting some pushback about you know we, we don't need to be uh, pushing out snowflakes that kind of can't handle the news. And I think that's a very damaging mindset to have. If we look after our journalists and have similar things like emergency services would have a lot of support uh, for uh, traumatic incidents where there, you know, there's staff there to support these people whenever they've seen something traumatic and then they get back in and, and do the job and they're supported and if they need help, then it's there and it's just completely normal. In a newsroom, you do a traumatic story and then you file your story and then you're on to another traumatic story and there's no time to process anything and there's also nine times out of ten there's no support there and what I have found also is that 
if there is support there, people are reluctant to use it because they don't want to be seen as weak because of this very toxic, macho kind of mindset. They will go to things outside of their newsroom. They will lean on crutches like alcohol or drugs or they will overwork or they will find, which is healthy, to find a counsellor outside of work so that it doesn't attach them to that. So it's great that the newsrooms have uh, mental health first aiders, for example, and they have uh, hotlines that people can call. Uh, if they are, are um, if they are feeling sort of traumatized, but we have to change the mindset so that people can actually access them without feeling the shame or the guilt or the fear of losing their jobs if they do use them. There's many, many layers to that that I want to kind of get into. But the big one for me is, you know, if people are seeking external support rather than internal, that normally comes with a cost and not everyone can potentially afford to do that yeah are there specific support structures you'd like to see more normalized in newsrooms or and things which would help people of all levels of experience affordability um in in that way well there are some um there are some mental health first aiders in some uh, newsrooms which are which is a really good thing because they're a specific person that someone can go to if they are traumatized by anything but i think that even the conversation if it's even once a week or you know meetings or if it's brought up in conversation more in newsrooms you know if you need help with something this could be a traumatic story so if you need support on this or we'll make sure that you're only on this story for a day and then we're going to replace them because your mental health is important to us or you know staff will prioritize staff feel that their mental health has been prioritized you do get this in bigger newsrooms. You absolutely do not get anything of the same ilk in local newsrooms because they just can't afford it. The newspapers in particular and radio stations are struggling for um, to survive as, as it is. They might see mental health as an extra expense or looking after your staff's mental health as an extra expense. But I would argue that, you know, someone being off sick with stress would probably cost more than actually preventing them from getting in that spot in the first place. But what I would like to see ultimately, and that's why I brought out the book, and that's why I talk about uh, what happened to me and I talk about being vulnerable. I want other people to be able to talk about this. I hope that me sort of raising my voice, as difficult as it is for me to talk about this stuff, I want other people to realise that, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to it's okay to be impacted by um, something, a story that has you know maybe traumatized you, or something that you feel very deeply about, or if you're um, struggling with anxiety or depression, it's okay to talk about these things. It's, it's you know that's that's ultimately what I want to happen, so that a staff member can talk to one of their colleagues about it even without feeling, you know, they're going to think that I'm weak. They're going to think that I'm not up for this job. You know, the, the mindset, ultimately, I would like the mindset to change. And that's going to take time. Is there anything that would have helped you more in the situation that you went through? Is there any support that you wish had been available to you? There was absolutely nothing available. I had to go and seek it out, uh, which was really also traumatising in the middle of, um, in the middle of being totally traumatized and being attacked online and, and feeling unsafe in my home, mm. I I didn't find any kind of um, specific place where I could find help. I'll just say in my darkest hour, you know, that something should have been there for um, for journalists to kind of lo um, maybe click on to or a specific website or a specific kind of area. And that's what I want to do. If a journalist is traumatized by something, I don't want to have them having to look uh, look everywhere for help and, and kind of go on trolling through websites and getting people 
to give them their number and and you know having to really work, do the legwork to get a to get the information. Because what I imagine must have been hard for you is a ex, uh, funding the external support, b continuing to do your job as well and and have an income, have a job, and and, and c just hold it all together mentally. The, the combination of those three things must have really you know been a been a, a severe weight on your shoulders yeah they absolutely were when i did go looking for help it did take me a while but i did find you know people like the um committee for protection of journalists and the nuj and um various people like that were able to help me with um some funding so that i could step back from my work for a while which was really really good but there's no joined up thinking there was no joined up I had a I had a couple of different issues I was traumatized I needed counseling because I was a freelancer I didn't have a great steady income so I couldn't afford counseling so I got someone funding for that which was great but also I was living in a house that was under threat and I I would have loved to have moved away and brought my children away from that sort of situation but I didn't have the money for that either so there were there were people who were able to step in and um, help out with some of that stuff but they were in five different places all over the world and in five different sort of websites and charities and stuff like that. So I had to really do the legwork to kind of try and get that just to, just to get a bit of peace, even to get uh, a week off work and to, to sort of have uh, some funding to pay, be able to pay my bills. On top of all the different stress I had, I had to, I had to keep working because if I didn't keep working, I wouldn't be able to afford my, my house. So it was... And what I'm trying to do ultimately as well is create some kind of database where journalists, if they are being uh, harassed online, that they can have help with that, where if they need uh, some funds to relocate to a safe location, if they're being threatened, there's funds available for that and bring in a whole lot of different people to help journalists and be, make sure that it's all in the one spot so that if they find themselves in peril or traumatized that they're just going to one specific place and it's all there to help them whatever their problem is that's that's probably further down the line but um that's what i want to happen because i know how difficult it is trying to seek out help and um keep a roof over your head and and deal with threats and police and everything else like that sounds like a solid um idea solid solution and one will be keeping an eye on in that case What's what's the advice you tend to give your students now in this new lease of life you have as a as, as a lecturer when you think about you know guiding them um, through through the, these stories which have unexpected consequences you know resilience this kind of thing what's the advice you tend to give your students talk to one another and if you struggle with something reach out and and get help with it don't uh, like I did just work yourself into the ground for a year and a half until you just eventually break. That's not how we deal with things. We should deal with things a bit better. I mean, I tell them that my situation, what happened to me, is a very unusual situation. It won't happen to all journalists. It's not a kind of thing where if you're a journalist, you're 100% going to be traumatised by your, your work. That's not the case. Um, it was a one-off kind of one in a million. But it, but it can happen to anyone, really. It can. It can happen to anyone. But I tell them that uh, I bring in uh, people from the ambulance service and the other emergency services to talk about how your brain works and your brain um, is impacted by trauma and so that they understand that and they understand that 
what has happened to them. Perhaps they're they're being overly irritable. Perhaps they're being they're they're suffering from insomnia. Perhaps they're having anxiety attacks, or perhaps they can't concentrate. That th these kind of things are signs that they maybe need to seek out help. But also even before they go into those traumatic situations, that they know how to prepare themselves. They know that this could potentially have um, an impact on them. And when they do the story, they make sure that they're putting in self-care there afterwards, that they're looking after themselves and they're leaning to your beautiful, familiar, comfortable things so that you're kind of getting, you're recharging a bit. You're using some balm there to um, soothe yourself. And if you find yourself after... Um, after a week or so, still kind of replaying all the stuff over in your head, then that's a time to maybe reach out and get some help uh, or reach out and talk to people and see um, see if there is any help out there. For any newsroom leaders, managers listening in, do you have any words of advice? Because, you know, what we've seen is those who need the support are often the last to raise the flag. So when it comes to just general awareness of their workforce, you know, the, the reporters who maybe need support, what would you say? I would hope that they would um, get themselves more involved in the mental health side of things because strong journalists create thriving newsrooms. It's not just a case where you bring journalists in and you, you use them up until they break and then find someone else. Well, that's not the kind of newsrooms that, that we want to have. We need to make sure that these people feel supported from the get-go. People know there are hazards connected with journalism some hazards we need to we need to make sure that our journalists are protected against those and if it does happen that there's support there for them so that our journalists feel very supported from the minute they go into the newsroom that mental health is talked about in the newsroom not mental health of people the people that you're actually interviewing but the journalists mental health themselves that that's an important that, that they know that their staff know that this is an important aspect of of the newsroom that looking after each other's mental health looking after each other looking after yourself is just as important as getting a story having edited this book and you've seen these 16 stories which i presume you're very familiar with What's the golden thread that runs through all of them uh, in terms of a big takeaway uh, uh, for, our, for our listeners? Yeah, do you know what it is? Actually, it's what if, in almost every chapter in the book, uh, the journalists deal with the what if question. What if I had in my in mind myself, I deal with what if I had moved differently in um, Craig and that night I could have been hit by a bullet um, someone else, a journalist said, what if I had have went into that particular place? I wouldn't have come out alive. What if the guy who had put a gun in my mouth and not talking about me? There was another guy in the books talking about this. What if there had been a bullet in it, uh, in the gun? Or what if, what if, what if? And that's the kind of question that, that runs through the entire book, this question, what if, what if? Because it eats away at them, doesn't it, really? It's the question that nags on your mind and it's, yeah, cyclical. It stays with you for a long time afterwards. But the another really important thread in it is that people think that journalism is just the most rewarding, challenging, but rewarding job in the world. And the people that you're you're dealing with are extraordinary. And the stories that you're dealing with are extraordinary, that you're watching history unfold in front of your eyes. And that responsibility of that is very also very prominent. They wouldn't change a thing. A lot of them wouldn't change a thing. And the difference that they have made through their journalism is very, very strong and that they wouldn't change a thing. But a lot of them say that we do need to talk about this a lot more. We need to bring it out into the open. We need to make we need to shine the light on ourselves a wee bit and realise that journalists are not robots, that we're human beings and we can be impacted by stories. And uh, we need to have the support networks in place to, to deal with that. 
Mm. And each time we talk about it, it's another brick in the wall, isn't it? So, um, Leona, thank you so much for your time and insights today. Thank you for your honesty. Um, and congratulations on the book as well. Thank you so much. Here is the essential message as I see it. Trauma offers no forewarning. It can happen to anyone, but more likely those who tend to cover violent and distressing stories. If you're going through your lowest career and mental health moment, you need support to be easily accessible, non-judgmental, and ideally all in one location, because there are undoubtedly many other elements taking up your headspace, filing police reports, therapy, trying to keep a roof over your head. All of that is to say, do not leave your mental health unchecked. Try to start those conversations in your newsroom if they're not present already, or add your voice to the one that is growing. But what did you take away from today? DM or tweet me at JPD Journalism or my team at Journalism at Credit UK at Journalism News. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on Jacob at Journalism UK. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. And that way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.